series in the Psalms entitled Worship in Technicolor. Worship in Technicolor. The Psalms are part of what is called the wisdom literature. And wisdom literature, what it does is it teaches you, it teaches me how to live our lives so that we might worship God in those areas that aren't clearly marked out in Scripture in commands or perhaps a law. For example, Scripture is very clear that we should not steal. But it's less clear in what vocation, what job, what industry should I enter? What should I study in school? Should I move to this city or that city? Wisdom literature, the Psalms, the Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, they, they are like God's instruction manual. Many of the, of the great commentators in church history have called the, the Psalms like a, a little Bible. It's everything's in there. And the way we interpret the Psalms is through Christ because they point to Christ. But they give us great wisdom. Great wisdom to worship God in our lives, in our work. The, the, the Psalms speak to us as a mirror of our soul empowering us to worship God in our lives and in our work. In fact, John Calvin said this about the Psalms. There is not an emotion that you can ever imagine or be conscious of that you will not find represented in the Psalms as a mirror of your own soul. Hence, the title of our series, Worship and Technicolor. The Psalms help us and give us the language of worship when we're sad, when we're mad, when we're glad, and yes, when we're bad, when we sin. Rather than running away from God, the Psalms give us the language to worship Him when we're angry at God. And let's be honest, sometimes we are. You can find yourself in the kitchen on a Saturday afternoon, and all of a sudden you're just talking to God like, God, why did you let that happen? God, why did you make me this way? It's okay. See, worship is not speaking to God in perfect biblical words with perfect songs and perfect um, vocabulary. It can include that, but it also includes just spitting at God with, ah! And the Psalms give us the vocabulary to do that so that when we feel that way we don't walk away from God and go somewhere else to get fixed so that we we can then come back to God and worship him all pious and perfect no no the psalms are men and women who are crying out to God they don't understand what to do they're a little bit confused or they've sinned they've sinned horribly the psalms give us the language to worship God in technicolor All the the colors of the emotions and the thoughts and the experiences of life are contained in the Psalms. There's nothing you can experience that isn't in the Psalms. There are murderers and adulterers. There are idolaters. There are men and women that are being crushed in oppression and dying. There are people dancing and rejoicing. There are people prospering. There are people that are poor and, and, and don't know where to turn. In the Psalms. So the Psalms are a gift from God to teach us how to worship Him in all of life. So here's the question. What does it look like for you to worship God in your life and in your work? What does it look like for you to worship God? 
That, that's the question. How do I do that, Al? I get it, I'm supposed to worship God. But how do I do that on the job tomorrow morning? How do I do that in school? How do I do that in the retirement home that I live in? How do I do that with the children that are running around me tomorrow? Psalm 90 is going to answer that question. Because you see, this is the first Sunday of 2018. And for most of us, on the first Sunday or the first week of any year, we typically do two things. We evaluate last year. And then we make plans for the coming year. And so what the Psalms do is the Psalms help us to make those plans with this question in mind. Lord, how can I worship you in my work, in my family, in my finances, with the time you have given me, with the talents you have given me, with the treasures you have given me? The Psalms is going to teach you how to do that. So as you're making your plans for 2018, Psalm 90 is going to speak into your life. It's going to speak into your life as you adjust calendars. Desi and I did that last week. You know how much I love to do detail work and adjust calendars? I've stopped complaining as much as I used to. It's a work in progress. Oh, it gets even better. Desi and I did budget for 2018. Oh, joy unspeakable. Al, Al, a party waiting to happen, Pino, has to have a budget. Yes, he does. Thank you, Marcos, for the Financial Peace University. I hate you. No, I mean, I love you. (laughs) Actually, I do love you because there's more peace in my home. But as I do that, what informs my plan? What informs my budget? What informs my calendar? Who am I going to meet with this coming year? What informs my educational plans for you students? What informs my business plan for you business folks? What informs my my lesson plan for my class, you teachers? Is it the glory of God? Is it worshiping God in technicolor? No matter where I'm at. No matter if I have a good job or I don't have any job. No matter if my relationships are great or I've just broken up with my boyfriend or girlfriend or, or, or my marriage is in trouble or I'm really lonely. Can I worship God? And is that the driving question as you sit down and do your budget and plan your calendar for this coming year? See, Psalm 90 speaks into that and gives you hope. God gives you wisdom. God gives you wisdom. And the wisdom in Psalm 90 enables us to worship God in life and work. That is the title of the message. Worship God in life and work. Here, God gives us wisdom in Psalm 90 to display His glory as His image bearers. And that is the question that controls our planning for 2018. How can I display God's glory as His image bearer by worshiping Him individually, but also corporately as a church? Now, just some background. Psalm 90 is probably the oldest psalm. It probably was written around 1500 B.C., so over 3,500 years ago. But it is as relevant today as it was in 1500 B.C. Moses wrote it as a prayer as he was leading Israel out of Egypt in what is called the Exodus through the desert for 40 years because of their sin and unbelief. And he pens this prayer in 1500 B.C., to to people, God's people, who are on God's mission to go into the promised land, but they're walking through a desert. And it spoke to them instruction on how they could worship God 
in the midst of their sin, but also in light of God's grace. And this psalm is a gift from God to us today in the year 2018 because it too speaks to God's people, us walking through the desert of this world because we're not yet there in that final new heavens and new earth and seeing Christ's glory face to face and seeing Christ face to face. But we're on God's mission as we walk through the desert. It speaks God's wisdom to us to teach us how to worship God in the midst of our sin and the sin of others. But oh, in the light of God's grace in Christ. We need this psalm. So let's read this psalm. Psalm 90. Psalm 90. The title of it is, in your Bible it should say this, in mine, this is a title. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Let's listen to Moses' prayer to God on behalf of his people. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Verse 12 is key. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants And your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. As you look at 2018, you may be thinking several things. Number one, you may be looking at all that you feel like you have to do or want to do. And you just say, there aren't enough days. Or, some of you may be thinking... There are too many days as I look at another year of mundane, mindless work. 
You may be looking at 2018 and you are filled with hopelessness or you're filled with a sense of confusion. You're overwhelmed. You've got all these plans and all these things, but you know life is confusing and, and, and is the stock market going to keep going up or is it going to go, go come down as we look at our investments? Uh, or you look at your educational options and you wonder, am I going to get accepted or not accepted? As you look at situations at work, you're going, Lord, I don't know how to make sense of this. What are you calling me to do? At least you should be asking that question. Not so much to what I want to do, but what are you calling me to do? Now, oftentimes they can be one and the same because God puts the desires in our hearts. He gives us the desires of our hearts. What that can mean is he actually gives you the right desires that you should desire and then gives you the desires that he's caused you to desire. Because he's God. From him, through him, and back to him are all things. But you're standing there going, how can I do all this? In one sense, Moses and Israel were looking at that. I mean, they'd been wandering for 40 years. Some say this might have been written around the time when Moses struck the rock instead of speaking into the rock. And God said, you're not going into the promised land. You'll see it from afar. But they, they, were, they were in the same place most of us are, a little confused, aware of our sin, but having faith in our God, but fighting it every day. And God speaks into their lives this wisdom, the main point of this text. Number your days that you may get a heart of wisdom. Number your days that you may get a heart of wisdom. We learn how to number our days by considering three things in this text. Number one, we consider our eternal God. Number two, we consider our deadly sin. And number three, we utter our desperate prayer for mercy. Point one. Let's consider our eternal God. Gary mentioned this in his exhortation. The first six verses form this incredible contrast. Here's the contrast. God, you are self-sufficient and you are eternal. And God, we are totally dependent and we are temporal. We are mortal. You live forever. You never, you didn't have a beginning. You don't have an end. You are everlasting As we see in verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And we are very, very temporal. Verse 3, you return man to dust. Listen, they were dying literally in the wilderness and returning to the dust of the desert. Not because of nature. No. Not because of some insurance actuarial tables that do studies that the average person lives to 80, whatever, in America. They were dying because God was killing them. I'm sorry to offend you if that offends your view of God, but that's what Scripture says. And the reason for this is that they were rebels to God, and they had said, we do not believe you, And the result of their unbelief, God is just. When he told Adam, the day that you eat of that fruit, you will die. By God's decree, he died. That was happening in the desert. So so Moses is speaking on behalf of the people, the righteous. It says the man of God, but he's confessing sin for the people. And he's saying in these verses in in 3, 4, and 5, he just speaks of how they're being swept away like a flood and like a dream, like grass that is renewed. Verse 5, look at it in the morning. Verse 6, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades away and withers. Don't think of South Florida grass. (laughs) Our grass is always green. Think of the desert. I was there last fall. It is so hot that literally the grass can sprout in the morning. You know, a desert climate, kind of cool. 
And the sun is so hot that by the evening it has withered and it's gone away. That's your life. That's my life, so to speak. We're like those clouds that get blown away by a hurricane. We're here today and gone tomorrow. And on the other side, it says here that to God, a day is as a thousand years. Look at verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. To God, a thousand years is like, oh, last night. A thousand years is like one day. The distinction between us as God couldn't be greater. Think about how much has happened in the last thousand years. You ready? 1017. What was the world like in 1017? It was totally different than today. To God, that's like that. To us, a thousand years? In fact, some people use that term thousand years as like an indefinite period of time. It is so long for us. And it's like that for God. He is self-sufficient. He is eternal. We are totally dependent. And remember the context. Remember the context here, church. Remember the context because the historical context is that this is to Israel wandering in in the desert. They are dying. They have no home. They have literally been living out of a tent. It has been tent city for 40 years. During Hurricane Andrew, if any of you were here, remember those big tent cities they had down in Homestead? The earthquake in Haiti, they had those big tent cities. Uh, Refugee camps are all around the world. Tent cities are not considered a blessing, are they? If you live in a tent city, that means your life has really not gone well or you've gone through a natural disaster. How would you like to live in a tent city for 40 years? How would you like to be wandering through the desert with, with no home? Some of you may be feeling that way. Relationally emotionally, vocationally, in the church, with your family. You feel like you've been wandering in the desert for years and years. You feel like you're living in a tent. It just doesn't feel like home. And this is where God brings so much encouragement here. Because look at verse 1. You get that context in your head? Are you sweating yet? Are you in the desert yet? Are are you longing for water yet? Are you sick of that tent yet? Read verse 1 with me again. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. As a Christian, we know that this is fulfilled in Christ. No matter what desert you're going through, what unemployment you're going through, what relational strife you're going through, what confusion you're going through, what physical ailment you're going through, God is your dwelling place in Christ. You may feel homeless, wandering, But in Christ, you've been adopted into God's family. God, the Father, is your Father. Jesus Christ is your elder brother. You have hope in the midst of your desert and your wandering and your tent living. God is your dwelling place. That's the point. It was the point then, and it's the point here. I'm always at home when I'm with God because God is with me because he chose me and he placed me in Christ, and Christ is in me, Christian, through his Holy Spirit right now. So however dislocated you may feel and wandering you may feel and confused you may feel and desperate you may feel, listen, God is your dwelling place from all generations. But may I say to you, dear non-Christian, He is the only dwelling place that's secure. I don't care how big your house is or how big your 401k is. 
Maybe in 2017, it became a 601K. Good for you. But one day, it'll go back down to being a 201K, as we experienced back in 2008. But there's one dwelling place. There's one house that never will go down. There's one place that will never, ever be without the self-sufficient, eternal God. He is our dwelling place, church. That's how you learn to number your days. So you don't panic and start doing some crazy stuff. Okay? Point two. We learn how to number our days as we consider our deadly sin. Verses 7 to 11. If you take a look at verses 7 to 11, they are very serious and they are very um, sober and they are appropriate for us to read. But listen to me, they're appropriate for us to read in light of God's grace in Christ. Christian, when you read this, a lot of people will read these verses at funerals. I say, not at a Christian funeral. And at least if you read them at a Christian funeral... And say, yes, this was for all those people dying in the wilderness. Listen, there's a big difference. We are redeemed in Christ. He took the wrath that we're about to read about in verse 7 through 11. It is strong language in verses 7 to 11. Well, let's let's look at it. Let's enjoy the strong language. For we are brought to an end by your anger. How are they brought to an end? God's anger. That means they die. By God's anger. Wait a second. I thought God was loving. Oh, he is. He's also just. By your wrath, we are dismayed. Listen, you think you're dismayed now by the wrath of your coworker or your spouse or your child? It can feel pretty dismaying. You ain't seen nothing until you are dismayed by God's wrath. It is the awareness of that that is the beginning of salvation, dear unbeliever. And if that awareness is dawning on you, it's by the Spirit of God that he might draw you to the one place where that wrath has been taken for you, and that's Jesus. Verse 8, you have set our iniquities before us, our secret sins in the light of your presence. It's like God brings us into his courtroom. He arrests us, and he says, guilty. We live before the face of God. And for the unbeliever, that is a terrifying face. It is a face of judgment, rightly so. It's the face of wrath, rightly so. It's the face of anger, rightly so. But, oh, Christian, for, the, for us, it's the face of blessing. Number 6, 24 to 26, the blessing that God himself gave to his people in the desert based on Christ's sacrifice. You've heard it many times here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That's only possible because of Jesus. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. He's my dwelling place. In the midst of my sin, he doesn't excuse my sin, but he sent a savior for that sin. And then even more so, verse 9. For all our days pass away under your wrath. Gary alluded to this. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. For our years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. This is not the way it was supposed to be. God created man to be eternal, to eternally display his glory. And we are eternal, but for eternal glory, displaying his glory. But in the garden, when man sinned, God said, you will die. Listen, and they died. Now, when he talks about 70 to 80 years, don't let that blow by you. But consider this. God's judgment on mankind was that they would die. Immediately after that judgment in Genesis... How long did man live prior to the flood? 
Well, Adam lived 930 years. Can you imagine living 930 years? How much could I save for my IRA in 930 years? Huh, Marcos? The power of whatever, multiplying whatever. You could tell I paid attention. But Desi did, so. How many houses can you build? How many cities can you build in 900 years? How many rental properties can you have? I'm being a little facetious here. But you get it, right? I mean, I mean, good old Seth. Seth lived 912 years. And then the oldest person on earth, right? Good old Methuselah. See, all the older folks said that. Younger folks who are not as familiar with the Bible are like, hey, what are you talking about, Methuselah? Is that a rock band? Is that a, sort of an indie band? I mean, where do I go to listen to Methuselah? Yeah. No, Methuselah was a person. He lived 969 years. So, so when God says 70, if perhaps you're in good health and working out 80 years, what is that compared to eternity prior to the fall? Or even to what these antediluvian people lived 900 years. Today, by Moses' time, they're living 70, maybe 80 years. What do you realize? Oh, because of my sin. But friends, we have a Savior who took the wrath that we deserve on the cross and rose from the dead to give you hope of a glorified body, Christian, forever and ever and ever to display God's glory in the new heavens and the new earth that will display his glory like creation originally was intended to. Man, that's good news. That's how you learn to number your days and get a heart of wisdom. That's how you learn to look at your budget and say, you know what, sweetie, we're going to spend 10% less because we're going to give to the church 10%. I'm not trapped by the here and now. I'm not a prisoner of the moment. I am free to live for the eternity that God has created me for in Christ. And the world looks at me and goes, huh? You go to church? You're not sleeping this morning? It's a perfect morning to sleep. I, I, did, I am a morning person. I did not want to get out of bed this morning. I was warm and toasty. In Florida, the homes are much colder inside than outside. It's like there were icicles on my eyelids as I woke up. A little exaggeration. But Lord, I get to worship you in all eternity. It will not be cold in eternity. I know all you people, I like cold weather. Yeah, trust me, it was not cold in the garden because Adam and Eve were naked, yes. Rest my case, South Florida is closer to paradise than Boston right now. Partway into that, David, I said, don't go down this road, Al. But I couldn't resist. Don't do as I say, not as I just did, okay? But in the midst of that, Moses is praying. In the midst of that, Moses is, 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 look, verse 11. Moses knew the power of God's anger. All his friends were dropping dead around him. Moses knew that his wrath. But then Moses said that we might fear you, Lord. But listen, the fear of the Lord for the righteous here is to value what is valuable, to honor the one who is honorable, to give glory to the one who is self-sufficient and eternal, not to things that aren't truly valuable or not truly honorable. That is, it draws us to worship God. Because of his grace in Christ. I love what the ESV study Bible says on the screen. The awareness of how short human life is leads to earnest prayer for God's help. 
without which his people can accomplish nothing of lasting value. It doesn't lead us into some existential spiral downward and hopelessness and just go out and get high all day and just do crazy things because life is meaningless, right? That's the world. That's without Christ. But it draws us to the Savior, to the Eternal One, and it draws us into these desperate prayers for mercy. Point three. It's interesting, isn't it, church? That upon receiving this revelation from God of his mortality, Moses didn't ask for immortality. What did he ask for in verse 12? Teach me, or teach us, to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. See, that's wisdom. Right here. The response is, Lord God, you are merciful. So I'm going to pray to you according to who you are and ask you for mercy according to your name's sake because you are merciful. Look at verse 13. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. And then in verse 14, we find a word that is going to become a friend of ours throughout the Psalms. It's the word steadfast love. Look at 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Friends, this word steadfast love, the Hebrew word chesed, captures one of the main themes of the Psalms. God says, I am merciful. This, this steadfast love is God's grace. There's many ways you can kind of, there's a range of meaning that you can translate this word. God's grace, God's great love, God's covenant love. God is faithful to his covenant. It's this idea of God's tender care and love of you. This is the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. That is based on Jesus Christ's life, death, resurrection, ascension, and glory. Not on your performance. It's based on what Christ has done. And in this case, what he would do. Not on what we can do. This is beautiful. It it, it is this idea that refers to God's covenant love. We, We say to God, Lord, we pray to you according to your word, and you are faithful to your word. You will love your people. One theologian, Dr. Dane Ortland, in his new work on, on uh, Psalms, says he can't not love his people. That's a little controversial, perhaps a double negative. But the idea is God has determined to love his people based on himself, for his glory, primarily. Now, we benefit from it, and he expressed that love in Christ. So we as his people, no matter what we've done, how far away we've gone, no matter what has happened in our lives, we run to him and say, God, I'm a mess. God, I have rebelled against you. Lord, I I am so lost. I'm so discouraged. Oh, Lord, but Lord, I know this. I know this. You're a merciful God, and you fulfill your covenant in Christ. So I appeal. I'm on my knees. I can barely talk, but... God, help me. This is is one of the prayers breathed out in Scripture. Breathed out in Scripture. Verse 14, satisfy us. Friends, I can tell you this. The only thing that satisfies in this sin-soiled world is God's mercy. And we pray for it every day of our lives. 
Charles Spurgeon, in his commentary on this verse, says the following on the screen. Good men and women know how to turn the darkest trials into arguments at the throne of grace. You know, it's okay to argue with God. That's actually a sign of faith. Because you believe God, and yet you're, you, you want to talk to him. You're having a problem with what's going on. But it, it, it draws us into these arguments where, at the throne of grace, when the Lord refreshes us with his presence, our joy is such that no man can take it from us. We live in God's favor, church, trusting God for our future. I love verse 16. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. Do you, do you see that, Christian? As many days as you have afflicted us. Now, that affliction has a purpose. Our times are in his hands, and those hands are nail-scarred. We learned that last week. But it is affliction from God that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. So we can pray, Lord, make me glad for as many days as you've afflicted us and for as many years as you have been seen evil. We can pray that. Lord, it's been a tough life. For as many years as I've been confused and wandering and feeling like my career is on hold or my relationships are so broken, Lord, restore them. Restore my marriage. We can pray that. God wants us to pray that. He wants us to pray that. And then verse 17. I love the way the psalm concludes. To a wandering people, caught in their sin in the desert, dying off by droves, yet a hope of a promised land. And we today are those people, and Christ has come, and Christ has lived and died and risen from the dead. That hope is now much clearer, but we're still wandering through the desert, and we still die. But oh, we can pray, verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. We pray it because of Christ. And establish the work of our hands upon us. The work of our hands are the very works that God has preordained that we would do according to Ephesians 2.10. Those works are from God. Establish the very works you've called us to do as a church, as a people. Yes, establish the works of our hands. How do we conclude this message? I think it's, 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 think it's appropriate to, to sing. But listen, I I think it's appropriate to give you some practical suggestions. So if you haven't done this already, take this psalm and overlay it to your planning process. If you haven't done it already, sneak some time this afternoon. Evaluate last year. Honestly, before the Lord. As singles, maybe get together with some of your best friends. Married couples, do it as, as couples. If you can't do it today, tomorrow, sometime this week. And do it in faith before God who is favorable to you because he loves you. He doesn't treat you according to what your sins require but according to Christ's sacrifice for you. And then plan. Look, if you, if you could just make a couple of thoughts about next year, that's fine. Some, some people call them New Year's resolutions, whatever. But as you mature in Christ... Look at your calendar. Say, Lord, you've given me time as a stewardship. You've given me talents as a stewardship. You've given me treasures as a stewardship. How do you want me to use them this year to worship you? And he'll show you. Overlay this psalm on there. Spend some time repenting, perhaps, before the Lord. But also spend time praying in faith. 
It's my practice to do that every day of my life. You know what I call it? I call it a quiet time, right? I wake up early. I go into my garage area. I turn on my computer and I just open the Bible. I'm I'm reading through the Bible in a reading plan, ESV study Bible, daily reading plan. And it adjusts me every day. It adjusted me this morning. But I also make it my plan weekly to just, am I still on course, Lord? It's called a weekly review. I just take some time. I look at last week. I look at what I think God is speaking to me about my roles and goals and what I should be doing, my responsibilities. I, I take scripture. and Lord, am I doing the thing? Did I do the things I should have been doing? And then I look at the next week and I look at my calendar. I, and, Lord, how can I do the most good to the most number of people as a called man of God? What are you calling me to do? And I try to put in some rocks in my, my calendar, knowing that the calendar is going to get all messed up anyways. But, but I've got some things in there. Obviously, it's seeking the Lord. That's how we worship God. That, that's how we learn to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Let's pray, church. Worship team, would you join me here? Lord, I, I pray for those of us here that are looking at a new year and, and, and whatever our evaluation of last year would be, may it be bathed in the light of the glory of God. Lord, may it, may it be bathed in the light of your grace. May it be bathed, O oh Lord, in the light of your goodness and mercies. May it be bathed, Lord, in, in the hope that though we're in a desert land, you have called us and secured for us a promised land, a place of glory. May we never lose hope for our marriages, our parenting, our vocations, our church, our community, our nation. Because you're the God of all hope. Jesus, you took the wrath that we deserved. You have promised us eternal life. Though mortal death is but a pause to the eternal glories promised us in you, Lord Jesus. May that fill our vision, even as we weep, even as we watch our friends and family die off and return to dust. We can rejoice that those believers will rise again. Lord, would you renew dreams in this church? Dreams for businesses, dreams for marriages and children being saved, plans to reach the community. Lord, would you provide dreams of what you want Palm Vista to be in your grace? Father, may we not be like Israel and complain and say, you can't do it, Lord. Whether individually I'm too bad, I've done too many wrong things, I'm too old. No, no. A day is as a thousand years for you. And a thousand years is a, is a day. Lord, you can do in one day and one afternoon what it would take us lifetimes to do. Renew our faith as we look at our Savior that we might number our days get a heart of wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand and let us sing our great God. If you would like ministry, David and I will be down here. Just come forward. We'll pray with you. Really seek the Lord right now. This is a time to focus and lean into the Lord for His grace as you sing this song, Our Great God.